think what's difficult as well is that the language keeps evolving. So um, I think if pastors and Christians and whoever want to be able to speak into society and culture, you have to be so on it. <laughs> and, and I think that's important uh, because uh, a phrase in two years' time may now have a different connotation. Uh, but I think those sort of questions are just yeah, really powerful because they completely reframe. Um, and, and I think that de-escalates a lot of the initial sort of, you know, we're against each other. It's like, no, we're just talking. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this week's episode of About Abortion. I'm here with Sats. Sats, thanks so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. How well, are you? Well, I'm joining you, really. You've kindly <laughs> let me use your, your studio. We're joining one another. <laughs> all your tech. And, uh, and, and not only that, but you're, you're far more, um, well, which isn't difficult, you're more well-versed in the world of uh, social media and, and so on than I am. Um, tell us a bit about yourself, um, the ministries that uh, God's put on your heart and, and what you're up to in life. Uh, yeah, so my wife and I were pastoring a church in London, East London, uh, called Reflect Church. And um, also uh, have, I suppose, I suppose you call it sort of a brand or a business or, to be honest, it's evolving. It's called the Digital Rabbi mm-hmm. and uh, really just with a heart to uh, help pastors uh, in some way. So, yeah. Brilliant. And, and you were saying just before we went uh, and hit the red button that you, you'd been doing something a bit broader, hadn't you? You'd been on Instagram and so on, sharing thoughts as a pastor but you really felt that was a, a focus that the Lord put in your heart was to help pastors especially yeah yeah a hundred percent so um I think I kind of fell into the whole Instagram game mm-hmm. <laughs> um I didn't really yeah I, th- I was just started sharing some thoughts um pretty simple um I actually realized in that process that I really enjoyed writing that was mm. one of the things I didn't cool. realize was a thing uh, there was some blog posts and different pieces of content um, and then I think really, yeah, just that revelation of um, the ability to reach people, you mm. know, when you've got 500 followers, it, it doesn't seem like a lot, but mm. 500 people in a room, mm-hmm. it's quite a lot of people. Yep. There's, there's influence there and there's, there's mm. opportunity there. And then, yeah, I think more recently I've just been thinking, how can I best, um, you know, use what I have and my gift and my calling to serve people and who do I want to serve? And mm. I think you can sometimes feel uncomfortable with that. Like ex- I felt like I was excluding people. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but I've gone, no, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Like, yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's cool. I think that that's something that I think we, we share really that certainly when we were setting up the Brefos project, helping churches to respond to abortion, I always felt that there was a key sort of premium as it were on, on pastors, church leaders in that, because of course, Ideally, you reach a church leader, you reach the whole church, right? Don't you? And uh, and I think church leaders are. Um, it can be uh, a lonely path, and you don't necessarily get the support from the side that that you might appreciate. So, you know, thanks for what you're doing, and, and bless you in that. And I think it really sets us up well for what we're talking about today, because we, this is part of our honest conversations series. Um, so, those who've been listening in uh, regularly will have heard one or two conversations already with pastors. And really, these honest conversations are about speaking with church leaders about the issue of abortion, um, but but more specifically than that, about speaking about abortion, mm. particularly in the church. And perhaps with you, we can also talk about, you know, online as well in that kind mm. of capacity. 
Um, so, so thanks so much for, for sharing. And it's really especially good of you. And people should know this. This is the first time we've met. Um, <laughs> is, yeah. I've not given you any help in <laughs> telling you what this is going to be about. And I, I honestly don't know, um, you know, what you're going to say. Uh, and you don't know what I'm going to ask. So it's really good of you to, to, to do this. Thank you. And um, we really want to just hear from you as a pastor. Um, yeah, briefly, what do you make of this issue? How do you see it according to God's word? Um, but then let's move on and talk about, you know, why is it important to engage this as a church leader in the church? And what are some of the difficulties or sort of obstacles that you as a church leader perceive, whether that's for yourself or other church leaders? Um, and, and the hope is this will be helpful to church leaders in particular. Um, is that yeah. all right? Sure. All okay. right. Well, you've got no choice now. Uh, we're, we're, <laughs> we're here. We're, we're live. There's <laughs> no going back. <laughs> Okay, brilliant. So first of all, Sats, can I ask you, um, how do you interact with this issue? So is this something that you've thought about much? Is this something you've looked into? Have you come across the issue pastorally? Um, give, give me a sense of where you're at on this. Yeah, I, I would say um, I am very interested in issues like this in the sense that on a personal level, um, I always want to know what I think about things. Mm. Um, I always want to have a conviction. And I think one of the really interesting things in the world we live in is, of course, the history of our nation here in the UK is, you know, you've got a rich Christian tradition. There's certain assumptions about, oh, everybody thinks this. Yeah. And I think what's happened, I don't know when, but it's in my lifetime or a little bit before, I'm sure. Uh, just obviously just the change in culture and, um, and those assumptions have shifted. Mm. And so I think what I've realized as a sort of relatively young church leader is... Um, realizing there were just loads of assumptions in the room, not just about abortion, but loads of cultural things. So for me, this really sits as part of a much wider cultural conversation, um, which is there's a bunch of stuff that uh, traditionally Christians believe that really does not fit with the culture. And uh, I think as pastors, it's easier to just assume, yeah, yeah, everyone knows what we think about this. This is all cool. Obviously, it's what the Bible says. Da, 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 da. But but actually, when you actually talk to people or, you know, they're talking to other people, when you hear what people say, they're often much more informed by the culture of the day. Um, and that's really tricky, you know, um, because you want to help people grow and uh, just, you know, follow Jesus and all of that stuff. Mm. Um, but I think this for me is like much part of a wider cultural thing that I think I'm definitely wrestling with. Like, how do we speak into the culture? Mm. Um, and in a way that doesn't really... Um, polarize people mm. that's probably the biggest worry right is because i think sometimes when you come for some of these things you, it, it's it's it is polarizing mm. just because of the way it is in culture mm. just by even talking about it it's like mm. how can you talk about it you know mm. yeah so that's that makes you very cautious yeah you know yeah. and um uh sometimes you talk about things and you do get it wrong Mm. Uh, even if you're correct <laughs> yeah right. right so it doesn't take much to make pastors quite cautious yeah i think and that's definitely something i yeah i would feel yeah thank you that's really helpful to to get that sort of out in the open early on we'll, we'll come back to that but first of all i'd love to revisit what you said about assumptions because i think it's quite yes. interesting how i think it was c.s lewis who said something along the lines of that the most powerful and maybe dangerous ideas in a culture are not the ones that are argued but the ones that are assumed. Wow. It's these invisible, unspoken, but very powerful uh, currents, you know, and, and I mean, you know, the, the analogies proliferate, don't they? But, you know, the, the classic one being you're out at sea and you just don't realize 
yes. the, the longshore drift or whatever it's called and you end up 100 yards down just because that's what the current is doing and i think that's what we've seen perhaps over the last yeah partic- well especially the last five years i mean things have been very rapid haven't they yeah. but certainly over the last few decades there's been that silent shift mm. to the point where i think you're quite right the people in our congregations are more informed by the culture often than by scripture even if that information is quite subtle and yes pernicious and it's sort of isn't spoken out loud um so yeah thanks for identifying that that's really helpful so um perhaps before we we get back to the the, the issue of polarization i think that's really key um are there any other issues that um you know for, for the sake of comparison that you've engaged either one-on-one with people online or in the church any of those hot button issues where there has been that cultural shift and maybe where there's also that concern of polarization and how you found that how's that gone how have people responded yeah um yeah i think there's loads i mean i think everything around sexuality yeah that's that's massive um i think um yeah i would uh, yeah that's probably the main one that's mm. probably the biggest shift isn't it yeah i think around mm. thoughts around sexuality around family mm. um yeah uh yeah 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 i think that, i think that's right and i've noticed that churches that are engaging more on sexuality often will also engage on abortion and those who right. don't on sexuality also won't that's interesting yeah. so i think i think there's yeah, something of a package isn't it but yeah come on let's go for it let's talk about this polarization so can you help me to understand exactly what the concern is? Would you say it's polarization within the church? So amongst the congregation, is it concern about uh, perhaps driving division or or something there? Is it polarization in terms of keeping people outside the church further away? Or is it both? Who in particular do you think you're concerned about? Mm. There? Yeah, very interesting. I, th- I think what I can see is there is a great... Um, it's really interesting when you look in the culture and you see some of these moves, for example, the move towards tolerance, mm-hmm. um, which is actually a really great thing mm-hmm. <laughs> when you actually think about it. Mm. And and it's it's really interesting because I'm not that old. I mean, I'm 35. So, mm-hmm. but, but my assumption is like 50 years ago, 60 years ago, actually tolerance is a reaction to an intolerance. Sure. And so I think there's this, even within the church, right? Mm. And so there's almost like this, this, opposition to something that was Mm. that is buried in the culture Mm. that maybe i don't even fully understand Mm -hmm. or see and now there's a move towards tolerance Mm. which can then go sometimes too much in one way Mm. And and i think um the problem is is whenever you speak into things like abortion or sexuality or Mm. it can feel like oh no we're going back to 1950s Mm. 1960s you know uh, discrimination mm. homophobia like things mm. that were not cool you know and nobody wants to go back there but the feeling in the culture as soon as you start to push back on maybe an overreach or you know an overemphasis mm. is that we're going back there and, yeah. I, and I think that's very deep emotionally in a society mm. um, do you know what I mean and yeah. so that's what makes it so hard and mm. uh, to because I think um, you know for me I understand that there's so much nuance, like there's so much nuance to truth, there's so much nuance to society, to culture, to people, to emotions. And and so it's like, as a pastor, you really want to have that nuance in the mix, mm. but it can feel like very quickly the nuance 
goes mm. out the window and you're like, that's, that's not helpful. You know, mm. there is nuance here. Mm. Um, and, and to be completely honest, I see that on all fronts. I see that from Christians as much as I see it from the mm. secular world. I see the lack of nuance and that's mm. what causes that, mm. that polarization mm. uh, in the mix. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I think, um, I think that this issue as with other issues, it can be presented in such a way as to suggest if you believe this, you're part of this political party. Yes. Uh, you also have these other beliefs and maybe character traits. And that's, I think, more so the case in America, but we're sure. heavily influenced by America. Yeah. And it certainly comes over here. And I think there is, the way I sometimes try to, to frame it is, the gospel is certainly not politics. It's yeah. a lot more than politics. Yeah. But there's also a sense in which it's not less than politics. Sure. It does encompass politics but that's a challenge i think for us as mm. pastors evangelists whatever how do we speak about this in a way that is clear uh and at times we'll need to confront but as far as it lies with us doesn't just come across like this is part of a republican package for example right you know um yes. and that's a challenge yeah. Because a lot of times we're not the ones speaking for ourselves. Yes. Other people are speaking for us. Yes. Um, and I'm not sure there's much we can do about the, the, the untruths people speak about us. But in terms of when we, when we are speaking for ourselves, how do we speak about that? So perhaps we'll, we'll come back to that um, in a few moments. But okay, so it's, so it's that sort of concern of, um, if I understand you correctly, it's almost being perceived as going back to this thing whether that's you know was really the case or is slightly imagined maybe it doesn't matter sure the way it's being perceived is this is a, a regression this is going yeah. back to an era of intolerance yeah perhaps you know uh, women being oppressed etc of course yeah yeah so yeah so it's that sort of the 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 regression narrative um and i think that's definitely out there mm. um so I, there are two things i want to try and do now i think Perhaps firstly, let's think biblically. Where do we see polarization in Scripture, perhaps particularly in the New Testament? Mm. And how is that presented? Is that presented as a negative thing? Is there a sense in which um, that's bang on mission? Thinking about the way uh, and in terms of reception, so how Jesus yeah. and the apostles on are received, could they have been accused of being regressive, hateful, intolerant, uh, you know, uh, a threat to society, um, and ultimately taking people's freedom? And I think the danger with a lot of these terms is, like tolerance, <laughs> on the face of it, it means one thing. It's, of course. It's often, you know, been at best stretched beyond what it should mean but let's you know perhaps we'll come back to that if we have time but yeah can you can you help us think through so biblically jesus the apostles um polarization um negative reception H how do we find some light shed on these things yeah i mean i think you could definitely argue that the teachings of jesus were polarizing mm. um in the sense that um you know one of my favorite stories about jesus is you know, he's preaching and he's doing his thing and the crowds are there 
and then half the people get up and leave. Yes. Like I, I love that. That's really encouraging <laughs> to me as a preacher. Yeah. So, so I think I think there is definitely something in the preaching of the gospel that is you're proclaiming something and it's up to people to receive it or mm. reject it. I think I think that's totally cool. Um I think the the, the tension then with that is um is uh, one of my other favorite scriptures is, you know, live a, a quiet life. Mm. Live a peaceful uh, you'd never hear anyone talk about this, uh, which is why it's become one of mm. my favorites. And and so there does seem to be something in the way of Jesus that is not seeking conflict as yeah. well. Um, you know, in fact, the only real example of conflict you can see with Jesus is the turning of the tables, you mm-hmm. know, in the temple. But this is about um, the religious establishment. Mm. It's not going into the world. Mm. So that's quite an interesting one because I, I think sometimes in the mix of, I don't know, society or a mm. Christian reaction is kind of this, hey, we need to almost mm. take the culture back. Mm. And, uh, and, and to be honest, I've fallen into that trap sometimes and thinking mm. that, thinking, yeah, we need to stand up for these issues. We need to, mm. but, but it never seems to do very much or, or do very much good in me either. Mm. Um, mm. Notice that it normally get a bit angry or a mm. bit annoyed or, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and it seems like I'll lose the way a mm. little bit. So there seems to be some, some sort of tension here between mm. being okay with the truth. Mm. You know, um, I love to say that, um, uh, you know, the truth is reality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we love the idea of my truth, perspective, mm-hmm. but there's only one version of reality. When we yeah. start talking about my reality, yeah. we know, you know mm. you're not quite right. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, so I think it's okay. This is the truth. And, 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 but perhaps this is maybe a wider conversation is, is the idea of truth has changed. So I know there are people in our church who will hear something from the platform, they know what the Bible says, mm. but they live with an inconsistency, mm. a cognitive in- inconsistency mm. where that's okay for them. Mm. So that that for me is a much bigger, wider issue. Yeah. And what makes talking about this so difficult, because I think when you talk about issues around truth and justice, someone can go, yeah, I completely agree. Mm. And yet in practice, in a different part of their life, it's not necessarily... Yeah. And that's that's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's I think where you, you have to ultimately come back to heart change, mm. conviction of the Holy Spirit, discipling mm. to Christ. Like yeah. these are the things that actually fully renew our thinking and mm. you know, because it's yep. not just information, is it? Like yeah. it's an actual heart change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think going back to what you said, the, the two of your favorite passages there or verses, and I, <laughs> I think that's a helpful thing. And I, I think those do sort of set somewhat the parameters of, of Christian engagement. It's absolutely right. You know, we've got to be up for truth and the offense that inevitably brings, but certainly we shouldn't court conflict for its own sake. Yes. And I think um, whether it's the same exact verse or a, a different one, uh, depending on translation, but there's that verse that's, as far as is possible with you, yes. live at peace with it, isn't it? And yes. Live at peace with everyone, you know, so, so far as it rests with you. And I, th- I find that a really helpful one because, mm. and this is, I guess, where we might get to the, the number of things. Is abortion an issue worth not courting that conflict, but saying things, doing things, which may inevitably result in such conflict? Now, I think there are ways and, We'll come on to that later. I think there are ways that we can speak and mm. behave which will mitigate that and will, um, I mean, y- you know, we've, we've done whole episodes on this, but when, when we're having conversations on the streets, part of our public education work, um, I mean, inevitably, we do get pushback. Inevitably, we get opposition. Sure. Mostly from people who've already made up their minds long before they've even listened to anything we've said jumping to conclusions and there's a lot of anger and as someone has said you know the first response to truth for those who hate the truth is is anger you know but whilst we get that 
we get that opposition we also get almost invariably every time we go out people saying stuff like oh that was actually a really nice conversation and uh, i've often had uh, including young people teenagers shaking my hand and saying you know what i don't agree with you but that was the best conversation mm. i've ever had about abortion thank you and people saying stuff like you know oh, i thought you were going to be all aggressive and whatever and that's the conditioning of the media isn't it we're, sure we're already meant to be the bad guys um so there are ways we can mitigate things and we'll come on to that but but i wonder if if we can get to a point of saying actually because of what abortion is it is one it is a hill worth dying on it is mm. uh, something worth risking at least persecution and offense at in the way that jesus i mean i think you're right i think that the turning the tables was the only time he got sort of physically mm. uh, almost violent as well no, he was violent he was he was you know he made a he fashioned a, a whip didn't yeah. he um but there were certainly lots of places where he caused offense you know yeah. his disciples came to him, don't you realize the pharisees were offended and yeah, uh, yeah. and he said leave them to it you know so yeah he constantly causes offense. You mentioned as well that time when half them turn away. I think that's John 6 or so. And um, uh, a friend of mine calls that his uh, his church shrinkage uh, strategy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, so we, we do see him cause offense a lot, actually. And, of course, no one gets put mm. on a cross unless they're offensive. Um, but, yeah, I wonder if we can establish whether or not this is an issue. Because I think I could agree with you that not not every issue is worth battling the culture on you know yeah. i mean i've got personally i'd love to see um i'd love to see greenwich mean time abolished i hate the change <laughs> in the clocks can't stand it i could make i think quite a compelling case for why it should be abolished um but it, i don't think that's the one i'm meant to die on you know and is it worth losing friends over probably not but i but if we understand what abortion is mm. this is you know and that depends on what the unborn child is if the yes. unborn is every bit as human as you and you and me if the unborn child is equal in value in god's eyes if the unborn child is a bearer of the image of god and if it's true that more than 550 of them are being killed every day then that makes this the greatest human rights injustice of our day but also of all time it makes it the greatest tangible assault on the image of god of all time and it also touches i would say the very heart of the gospel because in this issue we see creation we're made in the image of god we see the fall we see one of many human sins but this is a big one and we also see a great need of forgiveness in the gospel and when we think one in three women in the uk has an abortion in her lifetime the gospel is big enough for that and these women and men need to hear the gospel on that. So although it might be a bumpy road, how would you respond to the the charge that, okay, maybe some issues are not worth, um, you know, fallout, but but this one is. Well, good good thoughts. Um, yeah, I th I think um I think we came back to tensions, nuance. There's been a theme running throughout. Um, I, I completely agree with you that it's it's the issue. Mm. <laughs> I don't think there's an issue that mm. comes close. I think having said that, um, the tension for me is um, when I look at the world we live in and I look at our access to information, I'm, I'm thinking particularly for like young people. Mm -hmm. um, when I think about social media usage, we suddenly have access to every evil. Right. In terms of information, we can know what's happening 
in every place at mm. all times. And I think this would be the tension for me as a pastor is being aware that um, it's almost like people have an emotional capacity to handle mm. injustice. Mm. And, and I think because, because of the way our world now works is we're now aware globally yeah. of the pain in our world. Mm. I'm not sure we're designed mm-hmm. to be able sure. to do that. And so one of the things I feel when I talk about this is really sensitive towards mm. that person's capacity yeah. to be able to deal with not just abortion, mm. but everything. Yeah. And so I think in a person's mind, whether they're true, whether it's true or not, doesn't really matter. But to them, there's so many mm. injustices in the world that it's, it is really hard for yeah. them to go, right, this is the thing I need to jump on board. And, mm. And then I kind of, so this would be, I'd love to hear what you think about this. When I think about Jesus um, and I think about the Roman Empire, mm. which was, you know, dreadful. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. I, my understanding is that, you know, when a ch- child was born, they would mm. go, mm, we don't want this one. And, mm. you know, just kind of walk away. And then I, so this is my tension because I, I do think we want to shape the culture. Mm. But then when I see Jesus, Jesus seemed unapologetic about his specific mission. Yeah. Um, that I didn't, I don't see him raising, mm. you know, the issue around Caesar. Mm-hmm. The only reference to Caesar is let Caesar do his thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. focus. So I, th- I just wonder if there's, um, there's a, there's definitely, you know, for example, yourself, Dave, and the work that you're doing and your colleagues are doing is so important and um, so needed. And so there's definitely an element of calling. I think there is definitely a sense that together as Christians, we need to. There mm. still needs to be a, you know. A mm. revelation of truth yeah. and ability to talk and pastorally work through. And, and then when I think about almost like um, the roots or the seeds of abortion, it's much, it's like pretty far away from, you know, the, the, the outcome, let's say in the sense of family and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. marriage and all of these things. Yeah. And so I suppose my take on it is um, we need everybody to play their part mm. and God give me the courage mm. to say no to all the things that I'm not supposed to focus mm. on. And, uh, and the wisdom, you know, to, yeah. to know. And, and so that's probably what tempers, let's say, me jumping on social media to mm. go, cool guys, do, 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 mm-hmm, because I think in my experience, these hot topic issues don't do too well in, the, in that sort of space, mm. from me personally. Mm. But one-on-one conversations mm. go much deeper. Mm. So I kind of wonder if Jesus, this is just my theory because we yeah. don't know, spoke about these things in this mm. context. Interesting. But it didn't seem like mm. he was raising a cause mm. outside. Of, I, I don't know. I'd love to yeah. hear what you think. Yeah, really interesting question. I think you're absolutely right. Jesus did um, not only avoid being too political, he, he refused the invitations right. yeah, to yeah. become uh, too political. So I think he certainly made, made points that were... I mean, because even saying Jesus is Lord itself was a politically yeah. controversial statement. You know, So there, there are sort of inevitable contact points i think between the gospel and politics yes. even back then but i think it's yeah it's a very interesting point and i think what we see in scripture is that if we can call it social reform or justice or activism yeah. uh, i'm very happy to say that these need to give way to the the pure gospel the kingdom of sure. heaven and yeah. you know and i'm happy to make that distinction uh, there's obviously a, a strong connection and, and the kingdom of heaven should um spill out into mm. the culture not just the church but of the world you know salt and light changes sure. the environment around it so there should certainly be a flowing out but i'm very happy to say there's a primacy of you know, the church yeah, the, yeah. the gospel the kingdom of heaven jesus said my kingdom is not of this world i think we have to grapple with that but i think 
what's quite interesting is um, perhaps for that reason, social reform within scripture is a work in progress. Yes. So when Jesus at the cross said it is finished, he <laughs> clearly was not referring to the status quo globally when it comes to equality and whatever sure. else. Yeah. Sin is dealt with. The kingdom of God is inaugurated, you could say, at that moment or at the resurrection. Um, and, and I think quite deliberately, uh, even the New Testament does not seek to right every social wrong. So, for example, mm. slavery is left largely intact in yeah. Scripture, uh, as are the gladiatorial games and any right. number of things yeah, yeah. in the Roman Empire. But what's very interesting is if we follow the story after that, we see Christians rising up and actually bringing about the end of the gladiatorial games. Yes. Um, we see them um, standing up against infanticide, bringing children in and ad adopting them. Yeah. And eventually that was also outlawed, uh, I think much later on when Christianity was the religion of Rome. And then uh, we carry on throughout history and we see Christians um, leading the way in the abolition of the slave trade and ending apartheid. And well, it's it's a mixed history, isn't it? Because to yeah. our shame, the church often has been quite reluctant. Mm. But at the same time, I think we can all look back now and say, yeah, Wilberforce was doing the right thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was mm. right to stand up against the Nazi regime and stand up for the Jews. Um, and Martin Luther King was right in, in the civil rights movement. And so I think actually, perhaps, yeah, because, as I say, I'm happy to concede, it's not as important um, or it's not as core as the key tenets of the gospel, which should be the focus yeah. of every evangelist, pastor, and so on, and the church. Thank you so much for listening this far into this week's episode of About Abortion. I do hope you're finding these helpful. If you are finding them helpful, can I ask for your help in getting these messages to more of the people who need to hear them? This is the only podcast in the UK addressing the greatest injustice of our time. And we're delighted that these podcasts are delivered free of charge, uh, but they're not free to make. It costs about £300 a month to produce these podcasts. And if we had just 50 people um, donating around six or seven pounds a month, uh, that would cover our costs. It's about the same cost as an Amazon Prime subscription or a Netflix subscription. Would you consider giving six or seven or eight pounds a month to help us continue to deliver these messages and to be voices for the voices. We'd so appreciate if you could like, share, comment, subscribe, and uh, thanks so much, and we'll let you get back to the show now. Yeah, I totally agree with you about, about that issue of sort of information overload and issue fatigue. Um, there's a, an essay written by, I think it's Margaret Atwood, but don't quote me on that, people can look it up. It's called something like, Why No One Dies in My House. Mm. Um, she's an author, uh, she's a mother, and she's talking about her very deliberate decision not to have the news running in her house, not to have newspapers hanging around, because we are exposed, I, I agree with you, to an unnatural level mm. of information, issues that never touch us. And it's a burden and it's overload. And, you know, do I need to be hearing about tragic death on the other side of the world uh, in a way that, you know, until about maybe 50 years ago, it was not even close and even 10 right. years ago not yeah. at the level it is now i really get that i think there is a danger and, and certainly that pressure i know anyone with any kind of platform is going to get people trying to tell them what to say uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> and we can't live like that no um 
uh, and it's a challenge but i suppose my my again pushback against the pushback might be okay we definitely can't engage on everything but biblically i don't think that means we're called to engage on nothing we've got to keep the primacy of the gospel we've got to be proclaiming the kingdom's come but i think there are certain issues and maybe only two or three in any generation i genuinely think that i don't think we should be engaging on every issue um but maybe two or three max in every generation that are actually so big they become the sort of test case for your entire worldview for your allegiance mm. your spiritual priorities and actually the authenticity of your proclamation of the gospel so i think again dietrich bonhoeffer said something along the lines of if the church forsakes the jew their evangelism becomes heresy right because scripture has said there is neither jew nor gentile uh, a friend of mine says i don't know where the quote originated the church that the walls of the church are porous so either mm. our culture will be seeping out or the the world's culture will be seeping in and again that's particularly proven on certain cases and i think that this perhaps along with sexuality it is an issue big enough that okay yeah i don't think we should be talking about you know climate and the eu and you know um different taxation policies and maybe maybe in passing fine but i don't think mm. they should become but again if we were living in the 30s and 40s mm. shouldn't we have something to say about the jew um if we're living in south africa i hope if i've been a pastor in south africa uh, and i have no idea whether it would be true but i hope that looking back people would be able to find that i was speaking out Yes. against this totally anti-biblical segregation so i get it issue fatigue but maybe nonetheless this is still one that needs careful um handling and i think there's actually an opportunity there and i think i've i don't know about you i've read some really helpful books recently on the sexuality issue of um nancy pierce love thy body um mm. matthew roberts book called pride and I think what these guys capture really helpfully is these issues become a window into mm. the kind of religion of our day. Yes. So Western secularism. And actually, we all know the gospel tells a better story. And there is an opportunity here to say, okay, you think you're identified by this. But yes. actually, the scripture has a much better story to tell about your identity, your destiny, what's going to fulfill you. And... And I think abortion is another one of those. It feels very thorny, but actually, what if there's an opportunity here? What if this is where the gospel shines brightest? Mm. Because the, the very fact of abortion is evidence of a counterfeit religion, yeah. counterfeit gods, and practices which promise fulfillment, but actually bring death and destruction. Mm. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> so let's let's um let's kind of turn now and perhaps this is the final thing we can really focus on okay so if and people listening in pastors others if we can agree let's say for sake of argument we can agree okay this issue is one of the ones worth speaking on and at least risking fallout not we're gonna we're not gonna court fallout but in the way that actually i'm i'm prepared to maybe lose friends if i have to if i say racism's wrong you know less of an issue maybe today than in the past because most 
at least at a superficial level, yeah. culture is going to agree. But, you know, let's say, um, let's say, you know, as, as in abolition of the slave trade, you'd lose friends by opposing slavery. Yeah. Let's, let's say this issue is worth standing up on. It's worth, if necessary, losing friends over. Nevertheless, we want to do it as well as we can. Sure. Right. So how can we engage this issue in a way that doesn't unnecessarily miscommunicate the gospel, mm. um, allow people to think that we are um, being hateful, etc. So um, I want to sort of throw out a couple of ideas and see kind of what you make of them. I think one is, I think the, the language we use is really important. Yes. Really important. And I think insofar as we are speaking for ourselves, be that one-to-one in church, on the street, social media. I think there's language we can use which hopefully sidesteps some of that tribalistic back and forth polarization. And we can reframe the debate. Yeah. So I would go so far as to say, I try to avoid using the word abortion too much. Yes. I think it's a euphemism. Yeah. I think it's it's really quite unhelpful. Uh, Some people have been told it's healthcare. Some people have been told it's a human right. Um, and so I think actually to move away from some of these labels and yeah. to use uh, a more sensible description of what's actually going on can help people to maybe think afresh yeah. about an issue. So for example, um, rather than saying abortion is wrong, right? Just a simple statement, abortion right. is wrong. Why not say... Let's think about when life begins. When do you think life begins? Yes. To focus on questions, Mm. to get people thinking, to question their own assumptions, and to get them to maybe join up some of the dots. Um, I think that uh, the science we have at our fingertips and the imagery, very powerful. And if we reframe the debate from what people are hearing, abortion's a, a woman's right, abortion is healthcare, abortion is reproductive justice, Maybe we start the conversation somewhere different. Where does life begin? Yeah. What makes us valuable? When did you become a person? Mm. Then we're getting people to maybe think from a different angle and maybe come to some better conclusions than just what the culture's given them. What would you make of that sort of yeah, I, idea? Yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, just before you said that, I was going to say something about mm. language because mm. um, I think that's exactly it. And I think the examples you gave there are, are brilliant, you know, mm. and I think I think what's difficult as well is that the language keeps evolving. Mm. So um, I think if pastors and Christians and whoever want to be able to speak into society mm. and culture, you have to be so on it. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and I think that's important mm. uh, because uh, a phrase in two years' time mm. may now have a different connotation. Mm. Uh, but I think those sort of questions are just yeah, really powerful because mm. they completely reframe. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that de-escalates a yeah. lot of the initial sort of, you know, yeah. we're against each other. Yeah. It's like, yeah. no, we're just talking. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, something we enjoy on the streets is rather than, in fact, we, we almost entirely avoid giving our opinion mm. um partly because you know who cares who cares what my opinion is <laughs> yeah um but also i'm not here to talk about my opinion i'm here to talk about your opinion i'm here right. to show you some facts ask you some questions and together we're looking at this issue yes and i'm not here to impose 
my view, but rather to expose this issue. And even if you only leave it at question sort of level, you know, even if it says on Instagram or in the church, here's a one minute clip of life at early stages in the womb. Yeah. When do you think life begins and what makes us valuable? Even that just gets people thinking, plants the seeds and... And the next time they maybe hear about the issue, mm. they've got a different visualization in their yes. heads. They've yeah. seen something they can't unsee. That's so. That's one yeah. suggestion. Yeah, and and that's interesting when you think back to um, when I think about the church and coming back to the, some of those things around assumptions. Mm. Um, I think a lot of Christians and a lot of pastors we don't know how to have that sort of it's almost like you need training yeah right <laughs> right yeah. because we're not accustomed mm. to because again the assumption is oh mm. everybody thinks this so nobody's ever learned how to mm. have these conversations it's almost like an apologetics yeah. side of things yeah that um you know we don't often have a, necessarily a lot of space in this yep. tuesday evening mm. thing but to and this is one of the frustrations of pastors is you know you know on a sunday you get your message and all that jazz but you know, people don't remember everything. <laughs> yeah. Four days later, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can't tell you what you spoke about. You can't remember what you spoke about. Yeah. So I think to get messaging and communicate deeply, mm. I think this is where for me, like when I think about what Jesus did, you know, in, you know, Acts in the upper room, you know, Jesus ministered to thousands upon thousands of people. There's only 120 people mm. who has actually felt his mm. message deeply mm. uh, there in Acts 1 at the start mm. of the church. And then of course people get saved and all that. But mm. You know, that, that almost in a way, you know, brings me back to just that importance of that one-on-one, yeah. intimate, close mm. relationship, like mm. deep conversations. For mm. me, that's where the, the change comes, yeah. you know, the right. human hearts, right? Mm. Um, mm. And I think you, you can have both together. Yeah. But I, I'd love to know what you think about that. Do you think there's a space in church for training around these yeah, things? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I thank you for raising that. I think absolutely. And, and one of the things we do is, is apologetics training and mm. you know, how to start a helpful conversation about abortion yeah. in any context. And I guess in brief, people can go back and listen to these these other episodes, but in brief, following on the example of Jesus, we try to kind of see how he does things and, and emulate that. And really, Jesus is amazing at sort of finding the common ground and sort mm. of seeing where people are at yeah. and meeting them there in, in their world, as it were. He's great at telling stories that kind of, bring an issue to light in in a way that's actually quite in a sense it's quite um non-combative because it, it when you're just listening to a story i mean sometimes they knew the story was being told about them <laughs> but but it it does enable you to sort of step outside as it were and see it from a sort of a more objective viewpoint um so you know jesus told stories and we find that helpful and he asked great questions. Mm. And I think as a kind of framework for helpful yes. conversation, find the common ground, tell a story, ask a question, mm. tends to lead to much more fruitful yes. conversations. And I think you're absolutely right. I think we do need that um, urgently, actually, on, on a number of hot topic issues because they do come up. And I think actually what can seem like a problem is actually an opportunity. Yes. Um, and I think, but we need to be prepared, don't we, and equipped yeah. for it. So, yeah, that's that's really helpful. And I think, I think that sort of you know, from the front and one-to-one, -one, those are both really key sort of, um, mm. you know, uh, arenas for communication. And I think they complement each other. And I think one yes. thing that from the front can do is it can give permission for those. Very true. Yeah. One-to-ones. And then those one-to-ones can inform the from the front. And um, 
so yeah, that's so, so. I think I think one thing I'd like to sort of throw out there for pastors listening in on this um, is is you know you've got the authority mm. to phrase this according to the truth, according to what's helpful. Yeah. You don't have to adopt the narrative and the framing yeah. and the language of the media of the other side, even to the point of you don't have to use the word abortion. Yes. It might be most helpful not to use the word abortion. Yeah. Let's talk about what's in the womb. And and sometimes it's necessary, I think, to be quite graphic and actually talk about well, what actually is abortion, this thing that we call abortion. What's happening? Mm. What's the actual process? What happens to this child? Because again, they're not going to be told that from no. the media. Yeah. It's just whitewashed. It's just, oh, this healthcare will just remove the pregnancy. It's nothing like that. Mm. So I think language is important. I think another thing that's important, and we've, we've kind of bounced off this a number of times in this conversation questioning the assumptions i think one of the big reasons this issue is so difficult is that these assumptions which obviously are unspoken but they're also they can feel untouchable unquestionable right for example it's just assumed that abortion is good for women Mm. that's just a massive assumption it's huge i mean it basically is the assumption on which everything else rests so when we get these accusations so you're saying that a woman shouldn't be able to get an abortion if she can't afford mm. it, blah, blah, blah. All of that assumes that it's good for her. Yes. Right? It's like, no, no one talks about, oh, it's so unjust, you can't afford to be like trafficked because right. we know that's not good for people. But abortion is an act of violence which not only takes the life of an innocent human being, deeply damages women. Yes. And I think as pastors, anyone really with a platform, there's an opportunity for us, again, even just to question, to dare to question that publicly, mm. Okay, so what you seem to be assuming here is abortion benefits women, that they need it, that it's good for them. How did you come to that conclusion? How do we get to this point in society where we think the way to help a woman is to break entry into her womb and kill her unborn child? Mm. Deeply unnatural. And look at this catalog of uh, damage that we can observe, whether it's anecdotally, and there are women who are happy to share these stories, or at a statistical level the mental sure. health fallout, the yeah. physical health fallout. Let's start questioning this massive sort of, again, it's one of these sort of untouchable, seemingly untouchable um, articles of the religion of our day, mm. that choice is supreme. Yeah, My body, my choice, autonomy, that's how I'm fulfilled. That's how I live an empowered life. Mm. And abortion is part of that. Well, hang on, let's question mm. that. Are we really most fulfilled when we do whatever we want, when we want it? What about the fact that we want a different thing next week? Mm. What about my desires are no longer what they were two years ago? Sure. Can both be true? And let's look at the consequences. You know, how's that working out for you? Not just in abortion, but across the board. What, what's it doing to our society? How are children getting on these days? Mm. How happy are teenagers in schools? Are girls happier now with the onslaught of feminism? Has it helped women? So, you know, I think just asking these seemingly unaskable questions... Sure. Can help people say, well, hang on, yeah. And give them permission maybe to say, actually, yeah, I had an abortion and it didn't solve my problem. It was the beginning of my problems. Sure. And I think uh, there, are, there's a, there are literally millions of women in our society, just in the UK, who've had abortions and the only message they've ever received from society is you did the right thing. Mm. And, they, and they are almost coerced into having to make that work whereas the reality is if they could only admit it oh yeah that's when i started drinking that's when my marriage fell apart that's when i started going from man to man whatever the 
number of repeat abortions is about 40% now. 40% wow. of abortions every year are being performed in women who've already had abortions. Wow. It's like a cycle of... Um, uh, I don't want to use the word addiction. It's not quite that. But we hear these stories of, of women who've had abortions. They feel the loss so greatly. Mm -hmm. The next thing they want to do is get pregnant again. Yes. But then the same pressures and circumstances and worldviews and whatever are yeah. still there and they have another abortion. This clearly is not good for women. And I think if we can only break through that assumption, yes. maybe we can start to have a better conversation about abortion. Um, and that's, that's where I try to begin whenever I preach about it in churches. I try to begin actually with the women and men in front of me mm. who I know have had abortions. Yes. And the first thing I really want to hear is the gospel's big enough yes. for this. And sometimes I think that's the maybe the elephant in the room mm. that needs addressing. And then once we've addressed that, I find there's a sort of maybe something of a sigh of relief and people can open them up and say, okay, right, what's this guy got to say about this issue? Let's, mm. since we've diffused that idea that this yeah. is coming in a spirit of condemnation and, of course, yeah, you know, this is the unforgivable sin. And again, things that no one really is saying but can be implied. Of course. I think once we sort of new, neutralize that, that sort of whether it's real whatever once we take that out of the picture i find that people are grateful and receptive and responsive to a calm presentation of the facts through scripture through science what's yeah. going on and even when i'm preaching i tend not to push the conclusions too much yeah i just let people see yeah, the facts yeah. and the conclusions tend to draw themselves but um i'm mindful we've rabbited on for quite a while here um <laughs> but i do want to give you the opportunity for the final word so is there anything that you would like to ask me or share or just put out there we can pick it up another time if it's a bigger question but is there anything you want to kind of uh, lodge before we draw <laughs> no these I, I don't think so i think it's been a good rounded nuanced conversation i think there's a lot there yeah and uh, and i think um i would just encourage us all just to keep wrestling mm. you know because it's it's tensions it's nuance that you've got to wrestle with this stuff mm. um i think also um we're going to feel um i think just a, a, an urgency in different seasons to speak on different things um to and so i think to to feel you know for yourself dave bringing that urgency to us in this conversation if everyone listening i think there may be some of us listening and for myself thinking, yeah, actually this is an issue I need to focus on mm. um, in the in the near term. Mm. And then maybe there would be a less less focus, mm. dare I say it <laughs> in the future. But but I think there is a there is there is a sense of God's spirit moving mm -hmm. on issues. And I think uh, we we should, you know, listen mm. and uh, pay attention and, and be sensitive and be obedient to mm. what we've got to do, little or a lot, mm. but to engage. So uh, yeah, thanks Dave for mm. all your input. Oh, thank you so much. That's really enjoyed this. Thanks for agreeing to this uh, with so little uh, info uh, ahead of the event. But I've really enjoyed that. And I'm sure people listening in would have found that really helpful. So bless you. And God bless you in all you're doing with the church, with the online ministry. And um, yeah, perhaps we'll get a chance to do this again one day. Amazing. Thanks, Dave. Thanks so much.